is the Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. I'm your host, Paul Parisi. And I'm Jacob Young. On the Edge of Innovation, we talk about the intersection between technology and business, what's going on in technology, and what's possible for business. Hi, my name is Paul Parisi, and we're listening to the Edge of Innovation. Our guest today is Pastor Paul Buckley, who is a pastor of a Christian church in Haverhill, Massachusetts. And he planted this church with a team of people about 15 years ago. And we're going to listen in on his story. There are three parts to that interview. Let's listen in on part one. Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Parisi, and today I'm here with Paul Buckley, who is a lead pastor at King Embrace Church in Haverhill, Massachusetts. Welcome, Paul. Thanks. Great to be here. As we've talked about the edge of innovation, we talk about a lot of eclectic different things. We really want to focus on the people as opposed to what they're specifically doing technically. We're a technical company, Xavier Labs, but all of this technology is built to do something. And we're not really focusing on the technology here. We're talking about what we're doing and what we're hoping to accomplish. So... I guess King of Grace is a church, because that fourth word says King of Grace Church. Yep, we are a church. So what does that what does that mean? I mean, is this, I mean, there's a lot of churches in a lot of corners. We're in New England. It seems like they're everywhere. It's just an ordinary church. Is, is, is there something ordinary about church? Or tell me about what it, what is a church? Yeah, good, good question. That's a, a word we use, and I think we don't necessarily think about what it means. It's really, it's a community of people who are committed to faith, to their Christian faith, and they're committed to one another and living together, walking out that faith and, and serving the community. In some ways, a church should be a community within a community. So churches are all around us. They're in multiple communities, but really the historic idea, the biblical idea uh, of a church is it's really a faith community. It's a faith community that lives within a community to, to be uh, an influence for good on that broader community as well. Okay, so you've used this word faith a couple of times, and what, what is, uh, I don't want to get too far afield here, but what, what is faith? I mean, I'm struggling with, is it a wish, a hope? I'm, I'm not sure what is faith. Give me a high-level understanding of it. Yeah, well, there'd be two aspects of faith when uh, the word faith is used. It can be, you know, what you believe, the particular things you believe uh, are true. It also is a body of belief as well. So when I say a faith community, certainly, I mean, it is a community of people that believe something, but it's really, it's a community defined by a body of belief. It's a, it's a worldview, really. I would argue that that we all have faith. We all have a faith. We all have a worldview. And that influences who we are and how we interact, what we do with our lives. So a church is a, is a faith community. It's a community defined by a body of belief, a, a particular world worldview. Okay. So now we're talking about, you've mentioned churches and faith. And so there's lots of different churches out there. There's like the Catholic Church, the Mormons, Buddhist churches, I guess. I don't even know what the Jewish churches. How do, what are those differentiations and how do they, I'm not asking for a sort of detailed analysis of every faith that's out there, but how do you, at a, at a high level, from a social point of view, talk about those? The word church is usually used in the Christian context. So if you're speaking of Jewish church is a rough equivalence of a church. It would be a temple, temple community, okay. other as well, Buddhist temple and, and so forth. 
so when we say church, there's a, an implication there that we're speaking of a Christian faith community. Mm-hmm. And certainly we can look in society and we see all sorts of faith communities. And they may call themselves churches or associations, temple communities, so forth. Why isn't it called a club? Well, a club would be different, generally speaking. A, a club is an association of people who have a common interest, and they usually limit their activities to those particular interests. So they're, they're generally narrower interests in a club. So a tennis club, what do you do there? Well, you play tennis. Okay. So generally, that's how we use club. Church and faith community really is more holistic. Okay. That body of belief that we hold together is not a very narrow interest. It's a broad worldview. And there are commitments. There are lifestyles that follow from that worldview. So it would, would be much broader, and that's why we wouldn't want to use the word club, because that would imply that somehow it's maybe more casual, narrower in scope, and so forth. Okay. Well, I've got a bunch more questions on that, but before we get too far afield, so you're Paul Buckley. Now, I know that you're, you have a PhD. Mm-hmm. So did you go to divinity school? No, I didn't. I went to Johns Hopkins, which actually Johns Hopkins has a divinity school there, but I didn't get my Ph.D. in divinity. So what, I, was what, what was it? In, in science, Ph.D. Okay. in material science. So that doesn't sound conventional. I mean, imagine most people who are, I guess I'll use the term clergy. I mean, would you, you know, I guess you'd be a monk or a priest or a pastor or a lot of different terms for that. Most of them don't get there by going to school for material science. Is that true? At least not immediately. True, yeah. I didn't get my Ph.D. merely to be a pastor. Certainly it has implications. I think it has a lot of implications in pastoring. But I was a research engineer for 14 years for for the government and loved what I did, loved my work. And I did a lot of work that made a Ph.D. really important and really helpful. Okay, so... What could have happened that said, okay, I'm going to take this lucrative career, an engineer, and go into this other business or career, becoming a pastor? Yeah, sometimes I ask myself that question. (laughs) It was a a process, and it was a, a long process in some ways. Though I have to say, from very early on, I had an interest in Christian leadership, interest in a sense of call, obligation, that I think was more than just my bright idea. Mm-hmm. to to serve in that capacity, though I always thought of it as really being a lay leader of some sort. That's mm-hmm. what, what my personal preference in some ways would okay, be. Lay leader, what do you mean? Yeah, oh, good. Yeah, I mean by that, someone who's not full-time, you know, ordained right. clergy, or really not ordained is what we mean when we say lay. So not being an ordained pastor and not being full-time. Right. And so I, that my expectation was just to serve in, in a capacity where... I was a leader in the church, not necessarily a pastoral leader. Okay, but something must have, I mean, it's a pretty radical departure from saying I'm going to be an engineer working in a job, doing a career, to saying I'm going to throw that all away? Yeah, well, it felt like that at times, and certainly when I told my dad initially, he thought that. Again, it was a process, and so my desire to serve led me to serve in multiple capacities, Mm -hmm. and as I did that over time, I found myself being fairly effective in pastoral-type roles, and I wasn't necessarily planning to do that. At times I was and, you know, toyed with the idea, but by the time the opportunity opened up at that point in my life, I I wasn't planning on it. But I was, to a degree, effective in that role, and that wasn't 
just me. It was those that I helped, those that I served, those that mm-hmm. were over me, my pastors. Basically, there was a choir of folks to saying, you know, we see a pastor here. And um, I was probably the last guy to say, I, I guess you're right. But it became pretty obvious, and I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision what the best stewardship of my gifts in my life would look like. And I would love, I still would love to be in science, but you can't really do both, at least the particulars that I chose. So I, as I thought through that, I thought through what is responsible and, and really behind all that, a sense of what is God doing. Uh-huh. You know, when I look at how I'm being used, when I look at the opportunities, I look at the needs, when I pray, when I talk to others, so forth and so on, you know, what do I think God wants me to do? Where's my purpose? And not that not that it was some sort of lesser purpose to do science. Sure. I, I would have loved to continue, but but there was a strong sense that, well, I, th- I think this is what I ought to do. I think I do, in a sense, add value, particular value in this role. And so that's kind of what led me to, to become a pastor and to become a church planting pastor okay. as well. Okay, now wait a minute. So you became a pastor, but then you said, what's this church planting? I mean, there's lots of churches everywhere. Explain to me what you mean by church planting. Yeah. So it. Church plant is really a church, a new church that started. Every church that exists at some point was a church plant. Okay. And so we're in, in the West, we're kind of used to established churches. So we don't think in terms of church plants because they were planted a long time ago. But they were planted. So the history of Christianity is a history of church planting. Jesus gave his followers this commission. He told them to go out and make disciples and affect the whole world. Mm-hmm. And uh, really the, the pattern in scripture, the pattern in Christian history is through churches, through local faith communities mm-hmm. being started in, er- in areas, growing and, and becoming more like Christ and their belief and practice, and then being a positive influence in the community where they are. Always worried about keeping current with IT? Savior Labs is an IT and web services firm that cares for your business and team. Savior Labs solves problems so you can focus on what you do best. Prepare for 2018 with a free IT assessment. Just follow the link in our show notes and enter code SAVIOR, S-A-V-I-O-R. And now we're back listening to our conversation with Pastor Paul Buckley. So you decided to imagine with other people's encouragement plant a church. And mm-hmm. where did you where did you do that? We Is that in Haverhill? The at? church in Haverhill is the one we planted. Originally we were in Methuen. So we were, at the time, before we started the church, before we planted, and we did this with a team. It wasn't just us, my wife and I, and there was a whole team. Before that, we were in Maryland, though we're from the Boston area. Uh My wife is from Haverhill, actually. We were in Maryland, and then we were in the Philly area. And so from there, we came up and started the church. And as we worked with an organization, our, our denomination, and others as well, we made a decision to start something in the Merrimack Valley. Mm-hmm. And so originally we thought Methuen would be a good place, and it was in many ways. Mm-hmm. We picked Methuen and grew. And over time, we were kind of drawing people from a regional area, mm-hmm. a fairly broad region, and we are to some degree still doing that. But we started to realize we're going to be more effective if we concentrate on a particular city or town, not mm-hmm. to the exclusion of anything else, but sure. but to major on a particular city or town. And through a number of circumstances, one being that a wonderful building o- opened up in Haverhill, 
Others being that everything we were doing in Haverhill was very successful, very well received, and also that of any particular town, Haverhill was the most common one where people live in our church. So all that kind of led us to locate in Haverhill in 2009. And so now, imagine people come to church and go from church, and it's something they do on Sunday, I guess. But what, what do you think people families, individuals are looking for? Why why are they going to churches? I mean, you know, we have so many different social opportunities now. Not that that's too different. I mean, you know, years ago we had the Elks Club and the, you know, whatever, the Square Dancing Club and all those different clubs. Is is church different than that? I mean, you've mentioned it sort of is because there's a common faith. But what are they looking for? Is it, you know, where I get my needs met? Or what, what do you think it is? Yeah, that's a great question. I think initially there can be all sorts of thoughts there, and, and we as a church are prepared to you know, welcome people coming from all different motivations. But I think long-term, to, to stay a part of a church, stay a part of our church and many others, there's something more going on than just you know a particular interest, a club-like interest. Because mm-hmm. there are people who come because they want to have a spiritual experience for their children. They think that's a positive thing, so they want to expose them to that. And that's fine. Um, mm-hmm. It's a fine motivation. But I don't think that motivation is going to sustain someone's involvement in the church long, long-term. Mm-hmm. They might come just because they like what we do in the community, mm-hmm. and they want to check us out and you know, see, see what's going on. So, But long-term, really, the, the things that keep us and lead us onward are, are, I think, more substantial than those particular interests. It's really the idea of, of a robust worldview that shapes our lives in a positive way, makes a real difference in how we live, how we relate to others, how, what we think about ourselves, how we understand God, the choices we make in life, really, in, in, in every arena. It's about a, a comprehensive worldview that propels us, that, that gives us something bigger than I think we can get and all those other interests. Mm-hmm. So clubs are great. I'm involved in clubs and, mm-hmm. and so forth. But you're not going to find something robust and comprehensive defining of your life on a larger scale from those particular clubs and interests. And, and I think, you know, it's something to think about. Sometimes we can affiliate with a lot of different organizations sure. along different interests, but never have something that kind of gets deeper, gets, okay. gets to the heart. Like, why am I here? Who am I? What should I be doing? You know, what is this about? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it worth something? Is there a purpose here? Those are really important questions that I think if we don't address them, they're just going to be there and, and they'll nag us. And mm-hmm. there'll be a sense of disease, just, you know, being ill at ease or, and so forth if that question doesn't get answered. So. so as you were talking about that, I sort of thought, you know, sort of different silos. Like I like photography and woodworking, so I could go to a photography club or a woodworking club or read magazines on photography or woodworking or computers. I love computers. And I can be really good at computers, but that doesn't really inform photography or doesn't inform doesn't cross right. those barriers. And so I guess it's more holistic. Would you go there? Yeah. I think your your worldview does influence, you know, your your view of those different silos. And a Christian worldview is a robust one. I think it has an answer and it has a has truth, it has lifestyle that affects all the different silos. So so a Christian should be involved in these different interests. It's part of, you know, what it is to be human and, mm-hmm. and to thrive as a human. But being part of a church helps you understand how the perspective, the reinforcement and the fulfillment mm-hmm. uh, that God intended in all those activities. So you've, you've used the term Christian several times, and what's the simple definition of, of that? And how does it differ from 
other religions, because I think a lot of, I don't know, I mean, you know, I think that everybody, certainly in the 21st century world, would say that they're all equal, you believe whatever you want. We have a, we have an almost over, overwhelming encouragement to believe whatever you want. As long as you are true to yourself, you'll be fine. So, is that part of Christianity? Is that... Is that an extrapolation of Christianity? What is Christianity? Mm -hmm. Well, when we talk about being a Christian or having Christian faith, there are different aspects of what we mean. First, there's people that are nominal Christians, and what I mean by that is they take the name of Christian, they they like aspects of that, and, and I don't think that's necessarily a problem. But historic and biblical Christianity is really following Christ. That's probably the simplest definition. If you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ. A follower of Christ. Okay, he's not alive. Today. He's not walking around. I can't follow him with my car. What do you mean by that? Well, I think he is alive today. That's that's fundamental to okay. following him, <laughs> that we believe he is alive. We believe that the accounts of his life in, contained in the scriptures are, are true, and that from what we read and know, he, he did die, but then he rose again. Uh-huh. He died on a cross. He suffered, died for sins to make atonement for sin so that we could be forgiven in him and have life in him. Then he rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he's coming back. Those are basic Christian truths that the, that are contained in scripture have been believed for thousands of years. So a Christ follower, one who follows Christ is one who follows a Christ who's died for sin and rose again in, in his um, life. So what? I mean, when he died for sin, what does that mean? What is sin? I mean, because... Nowadays, it's like, do whatever you feel is good, right? I mean, we define what's good and bad by our own selves right now. Mm-hmm. So he died for sin. I'm not, can you flesh that out? What is that actually Yeah. Mean? Well, sin is not a happy word for us, really, is it? Um, we don't like to talk about it. It's not mentioned much, but I think we, we do. Well, to the extent, I mean, so yes and no, but I don't think anybody that can be reasonably intellectually honest about things there's this thing called sin which you know you can define any way you want but you can give me your definition of it and why do you think people don't want to talk about it I mean somebody has to talk about it it's like saying there's no water in the lake it's like well we can talk about that but the reality doesn't change so and I'm sorry to interrupt but if there's this thing called sin and you're saying that Jesus died for sin Right. What's that equation? What's that, what does that actually mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't like to talk about it because it's uncomfortable, but we always deal with it. We see it around us. We, you know, when someone does something wrong, we react to it. We know really what's wrong and what's right to a great degree. Sin is really doing the wrong thing or failure to do the right thing. So we know that. We, you know, we live with that. We live so with is our. Is it that simple? Yes, it is. So you're saying I shouldn't do the wrong things. If, if, I'm, if I'm being intellectually honest, and I don't like what somebody's wearing. I shouldn't kill them. I'm being, I'm being you know, right, right. extremely outrageous here. Yeah. But what, why in the world, where does that come from, that notion that it would be wrong? And I think, you know, 10 out of 10 people would say, that was wrong to kill that person. Why did you kill that person? I didn't like their shoes. Yeah. Well, that's even worse wrong. So where does that come from? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it comes from who we are, we're fundamentally part of what it is to be human, what we would say we're made in the image of God, we're made like God in a sense that we understand people, we understand relationships, we understand ethics, and so I think it's inherent 
even if someone were, were not to grant me that, I would say it's also very logical, the golden rule, mm -hmm. do to others as you would have them do to you. Um, and then there's different versions of that, of course. It makes sense because you're not the only or central being. You know, when you start to acknowledge other identities around you, mm -hmm. um, what right do I have over them? I should treat them as I would treat myself or want to be treated. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. So, so yeah, that, that's, that, and that's a biblical truth, but it's also a logical truth that you see across all different worldviews, really. But I would say it's more than that. It is that, but it's more. I think it is part of what it is to be made in the image of God, to think we have an inherent understanding of right and wrong, and it's built in. So today on The Edge of Innovation, we've been talking with Paul Buckley, a Christian pastor here in Haverhill, Massachusetts, which is located on the Massachusetts-New Hampshire border. If you'd like to get in touch with Paul or information about the church he pastors or about Christianity in general, please look at our show notes. The Edge of Innovation is brought to you in partnership with Savior Labs. Savior Labs exists to help businesses mature and strategize for the future. Learn more about Savior Labs at SaviorLabs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. For the show notes and more information about Paul, please visit paulparisi.com. The Edge of Innovation is produced by Jacob Young in conjunction with copious amounts of coffee. Music on today's episode was from bensound.com. Paul can be found on Twitter at pdparisi and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash pdparisi. This episode, like all our episodes, is transcribed and available at paulparisi.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.